You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, Episode 1. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rentschler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hi, welcome. This is your host, Meg Rentschler, and I am so excited to get this show underway. While I introduced the show and the format of the show and the vision, what hopefully you can get out of it in that introductory episode zero, what I didn't really focus on was that this has been a really long process for me. From the time that I first envisioned this platform and began to build the show, I have to say I'm embarrassed on how long it has been. Maybe you can relate. I wanted to get it just right. There are many aspects of creating a podcast that were new to me. It's not something I've done before. And there's lots of people out there who have different ideas and perspective about the right way to do things. So I would begin in a particular direction and then get some some advice and change course or undo what I'd done and change direction again and then maybe get frustrated and stop altogether for a while. Uh, I was not consistently following through and found that my confidence was becoming undermined. I let that need for perfectionism hold me back. What's ironic about that is that as a coach, I'm the first one to encourage my clients to get enough information to make a good start and then take action and course correct along the way. But I was just staying paralyzed in inaction. And then we have the whole concept of life and how life can give us all sorts of excuses I wanted to keep up with my busy business and make sure that I was seeing to my clients and my students' needs. I wanted to be responsive to my family needs, my husband and my sons. I have elderly parents, and we just lost my dad in the last couple months. So all of those things are very important, but I allowed them to help me justify and procrastinate on this very important project. So I got close a few times, and then I allowed myself to pull back. And I saw that I was doing the very things that I would work with my clients to overcome, and I was not showing the follow-through myself. So I think the straw that broke the camel's back for me that made me get the show out to you was packing my youngest off to his first year at college and talking with my oldest son about what his plans will be when he completes his senior year of college this next June. And those things made me look in the mirror and ask myself, what kind of an example am I setting on creating a vision and following through, on giving value back and creating different opportunities when I've had this very goal for eons and kept getting in my own way? So I thought, this is where the rubber meets the road, Meg. You've got to get this podcast out there. And hopefully that helps you better understand my excitement 
in being able to welcome you to our very first show. One of the things that I've done over these past several months as I've prepared to create the show is interviewed some extraordinary people, experts who are willing to share their wisdom, experience, and perspective with all of us on building a business, on creating a coaching culture inside of corporations, on brokering your coaching services, on journeying, taking the journey from corporate America into a coaching business, and on and on. Lots of great stuff. It was such great stuff that I had a hard time deciding who I should share with you first. Then I thought about that journey that I just shared with you in getting this show underway and how many times coaches will struggle with the concept of building their own business, of creating the energy around a business versus just the energy that comes from coaching. So I thought that it would make a whole lot of sense to launch this podcast featuring my interview with Cynthia Loy Darst. Cynthia is one of the most inspiring, passionate, engaging people that I've ever had the pleasure to work with, let alone coaches that I've had pleasure to work with. She was named one of the top 10 most influential coaches in the United States. She's a master certified coach through the International Coach Federation and is a certified professional coactive coach. Cynthia and her husband, David Darst, who is another coach, our business partners in their companies, the Inspiration Point and Team Darst, based in Los Angeles. So I asked Cynthia if she would share her perspective and wisdom on building a coaching business. However, because Cynthia has such a depth of experience, I also had to ask her some questions regarding successful coaching overall. So I believe that her words of wisdom are going to resonate with you regardless of where you are in your coaching journey. I encourage you to really listen for the tips and the tools that speak loudest to you. And I hope you really enjoy our interview with Cynthia Loy Darst. All right. Good morning, Cynthia. I'm so excited to have you join the show today. Cynthia has agreed to come and share her wisdom around building a coaching business. But I have to start with the story of how I met Cynthia. Cynthia won't remember this because I was one of many. I was at an International Coach Federation conference. There were breakouts to choose from, many different conferences. Cynthia was running one on using metaphors in coaching. I didn't know Cynthia at all, but I thought, oh, that's something that I really want to be a part of. So I went to her training and was blown away by her energy, her creativity, She had a room full of coaches walking around in the dark and doing physical exercises to bring out the concepts of metaphor. It was phenomenal. And I left that conference saying, oh my goodness, this woman is just phenomenal. And when I have a chance to learn from her, I'm going to take that opportunity And then, lo and behold, Cynthia came to North Texas Chapter a couple months ago and did a fabulous training with us on the traps that experienced coaches can fall into. Then I thought, ah, Cynthia's here. I can ask her to be on the show. So good morning, and thank you for being with us. Oh, thank you so much, Meg. Yeah, that was a really fun thing that we did in 
the ICF conference. I think that was San Antonio. Awesome. In our talk, Cynthia brings incredible wisdom to concept of coaching, and she's been a professional coach. We're just thinking about 24 years now and is also an instructor in a coach certification program. So two of them. Woohoo. Which, yeah, which program? CTI. CTI. Training Institute for One-on-One Coaching and CRR Global, which trains people in relationship and team and partnership coaching. Awesome. And I believe I'm going to be doing a training with you through CRR on the Insight Team. Yeah. Excellent. I think one of the things that happens to me as an instructor in a coach certification program is I'm frequently approached by people who are coming through the program, who have been through the program, who might be considering going into the program with questions about building a coaching business. How do I do this? You know, just sort of that pull their hair out. So what are your thoughts when you think about first steps in beginning a coaching business? You know, there are several thoughts I have. Here's the thing, that people are going to flood you with all of the right things you need to do to build a coaching practice. And if you think you have to do all of those things, you're going to get crazy. And you're going to get a whole lot of like, oh, I'm not doing it right. No, I should be this. And that's going to cause you to not have any fun in the process. And maybe even become paralyzed. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe you'll just totally inept. And so one of the things that I strongly recommend is that you choose the things that you are particularly good at, that are fun for you to do. And then you go take that path. Because that's going to give you joy. It's going to give you energy. Now, there are a couple other pointers that I would have. One of the things is that people think, if I'm a really good coach, then I should have a, a business pretty quickly. Well, it's helpful. That's really good. It's going to help increase your referrals. You want to be the best coach you can be. However, you do need to take the business part seriously. One of the main reasons for business failure of any kind is improper financing. So you wouldn't think of opening a store or opening a restaurant or something without the right money, without the foundation in place. And yet people all the time think, oh, well, I don't have any money at all. I'll just start a business. <laughs> and so I really recommend against that. You might need to get a day job for a while. You might need to do something else that's bringing in money or get some kind of loan or whatever it is so that you're not stressed, so that when you're with people, you are clean, you are clear, you're not desperate in any way. You can be reflecting what a fulfilled life looks like. That's another point. I've got a couple more that I think are really important. Before we move on to that, let's talk just a little bit about what that panic or scarcity when you're operating out of fearfulness because you don't have the money and you need these clients, what that does when you're trying to attract people. So think about it. It's like if people are going to be attracted to you and people are looking for a coach, like quite often they'll be thinking, I want what she has. I want that look of peace of mind. Yeah. Having joy, having of designing a life that really works for me. And so if you as coach, even if you're not saying it, if you have a sense of stress or uh, 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 
it's going to read to the client. It's going to be the subtext. This kind of leads to my next point. You want to get yourself well-supported emotionally. Mm -hmm. I was very blessed to have a dear friend of mine going through training at exactly the same time, a fellow by the name of Eric Kohner. We actually became business partners together in the beginning, and we were so young and naive that we set up a plan to any money that came in, whether it was from him or from me, we would just split everything 50-50. Now it worked beautifully for us. And we were together for the first five years. And in those very early days, we were talking on the phone every day. We would go to networking meetings together. We would go places together. I was terrified about talking about coaching. And yet he was very ballsy. He would talk to anybody. He would do anything. And so I would learn from him and I would learn from other coaches. And bit by bit, I gained my confidence. And what about that whole aspect of how did you financially sort of, were you one of those coaches that was like, you know what, let me just start my practice and earn my living as I go along? I had been a professional actor in New York. And so because of that, you can see anyone who go who tries to be a professional actor, and I actually made my living at it, but anyone who does that has a certain ability to face risk. So a lot of people aren't like that. I was a big risk taker early on. I've been acting in New York and we moved to Los Angeles. I went into sales because I was ready to stop acting. I was good at sales because as an actor, all you do is sell yourself. Yeah, you sell yourself all the time. Right? So there I was and I was hating this corporate environment, selling ads. I had a shrew of a boss who would scream at me. So I just had to get out. I took this huge leap of faith and said, I'm putting out my shingle as a coach Eric and I came up with courses that we offer to professional actors. We started creating things just to get some attention. We were literally having garage sales to pay the rent. This wasn't quick. Yes, I hear about people all the time who take on coaching and they've got their business entirely built in three months or six months. Fine, bully for them. That's not most people. Most people, it takes two to three years to really see and feel like you have a foundation in place. And that's before you really start creating the bells and whistles. So that's why I'm talking about properly financing is you need to be able to give yourself that ramp up time, right? So that you're not operating out of panic and desperation. People are not going to probably work with somebody who's desperate to work with them. As a matter of fact, over the years that I've worked with people, ironically, when I say to somebody, I don't know that I'm the coach for you, and but very sincerely, it tends to, like, then they really want to work with me. Then I really get to a place of helping them understand that this other person might be a better match for them. In general, when you're just able to be subtly confident, non-apologetic, and clear about who you are in a good place, that's when people think, yeah, that's the person that I want to work with. Absolutely. Well, you're pointing to a few other things, Meg. It's like some of the traps that I see young coaches fall into is there's all this pressure to get the right niche and then to have the perfect website and have it all look together. Well, honestly, when you're first starting out, you don't quite know what your niche is going to be unless for some reason you're already super clear on it. You don't quite know how you want your website to look. 
you might want to have a little bit of web presence and have people be able to contact you. But the fact of the matter is what you need to get good at is connecting with people and talking to people. I've had so many conversations on airplanes and at Starbucks back in the day, making copies and people would be like, what's that you're copying? And we'd end up doing a sample session right there. So you need to be able to connect. The more you can be with someone, connect with people. My husband, when he first started his coaching practice, he came in, he goes, I don't even understand this problem about getting clients. Aren't people just fascinating? Don't you just want to work with people? What I saw him doing, it really surprised me because I hadn't seen this early on. He would start talking to people and he'd get fascinated by them. He'd say, I want to coach you in this. May I be your coach? And we'll work out however the money is. And he just built his practice until he had plenty of clients to be practicing with. And then as he grew in his confidence, as he became certified, then his rates were able to go right on up. Excellent feedback. Any other tips? What would you tell to somebody who says, how do I get better at connecting with people? What would you recommend? I'd recommend that you practice putting your attention on them. Here are some of the things that I used to do. I used to hate cold talk to someone about coaching, but I could reach out to my friends and there were certain things that I would say. I might send out an email or I might start making calls, checking in on people and then saying, so here's a scoop. I'm building my coaching practice and I'm looking for clients who, and then you fill in the gap. I'm looking for clients who want less stress in their life. If anyone comes to mind, would you send them my way? Another thing that I did is everyone I came in contact with, I would offer them a sample session. If they were a close friend or neighbor or something like that, I would say, because we're close, it's probably not appropriate for me to be your coach. So don't even worry about me asking you to be my client. I want you to know what coaching is so that you can talk to other people about what I do. Excellent. And people did this. And then I got well-practiced in sample sessions. And that connection. So what a wonderful way to not only build your confidence in who you were as a coach, but also that connectivity with people and great way to take off that whole pressure of, oh, she's going to ask me to be her client by practicing with people to do the ripple effect instead, ripple out what coaching is. And I would think that 24 years ago, getting a concept out there of what coaching is was really important because when I transitioned from therapy to coaching about 10 years ago, it was still a big deal. Oh, yeah. People really, you know, would say the most horrible things. They say, people pay you for this? And isn't this just like being someone's friend? What's the difference? And that, you know, what is this? Are you like a therapist with training wheels? You know, they would make, they didn't know what, they didn't know how to figure this out. So I had to develop a little bit of a tough skin and be able to learn how to go, yeah, people do pay me for this. And here's why, rather than get all defensive about it, right? Absolutely. Well, and the other thing that you brought up that I think is so key and coming from your professional acting background, getting used to selling who Cynthia is, I think that that's one of the things that I hear often from coaches that it's uncomfortable for them because when you're selling your coaching services, you're really the product. 
and your expertise is the product. So it's not selling silverware or a car. That's the challenge, Meg, is we think we're selling ourselves. And we're actually not. What we're selling is the future of this client's life. So if I think someone signing up with me for coaching is about me, I'm in trouble. Excellent. I might have a way to work. I might show them how I'm going to work. Or, and by the way, if someone's brand new to coaching, what I'll tend to do is I'll say, well, we're going to do a little exploration first. We're going to find out what your values are and what your priorities are. And we are going to develop an initial plan so that we can have you start to take some action. And we're going to start to look at who you are being in relationship to your life. So I just give them a little thing. That's all. I'm not offering them a program. Where my focus is, is not on, I need to do this, but it's on, is this the right thing for this client? Like, it's all about this client. And that's what they buy. The possibility of their life, of their freedom, of their whatever it is. That's what they're buying when they say they want to work with you. Excellent. I love the way that you framed that. In addition, as coaches, we need to be aware that our success is not necessarily directly into the client's success. If the client doesn't meet these goals or do these, somehow that reflects on me as a coach or vice versa. Because what ends up happening then is that the agenda becomes all about me as the coach. That's exactly right. So because I've been doing this so long and I have, you know, the credentials and blah, 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 I'm sure that people think that every single client that comes to me, we do amazing things and they all get what they want. No, that's not true at all. That doesn't happen. It's, I mean, it happens sometimes, but you know, it's like, I would say, honestly, about 30% of my clients are so satisfied. They're over the moon. Their life changes and the clouds part and the angels sing. There are another 30% that it's like coaching is really good and it's life-giving and it's fulfilling and it's satisfying to them. And then there are people, maybe about 20% actually, you know, this didn't quite work or it's like, I might not be the right coach. This might not be the right thing for them. Maybe they actually need a consultant. And so part of my job is to, like, I am not interested in continuing to take someone's money if I'm not the right fit. And it won't feel right to me either. And so just to lead to one more tip, one mantra that I've had for years is I never keep clients who cost me. So if you see someone's name in the calendar and you feel resentment or you feel like, oh, I'm going to have to spend enough time with, no, no, no. Either there's some work you need to do to clean that out. Or it's time for you to actually let that client go. And how do you do that? I will often say, you know, we've been working together a little while now, and it's just feeling like I'm not quite the right fit for you. So I don't want to keep taking your money if I'm not the right fit. Let's find the right coach for you. And that takes some gumption, but it's important to do from an integrity point of view. All of your tips have just been so incredibly helpful And I'm acknowledging everybody that I'm going off the path a little bit. I'm breaking the agenda for a second. But you just talked about something that sort of gives a segue into something else that you do. So I'm wondering if it's okay if we spend just a minute 
talking about that very thing that we talked about in Expert Coaches Can Fall In, that whole recontracting that you talk about doing with clients. I know it's completely off our topic. Well, not really. I think it weaves together really well. So most schools teach something about contracting with a client initially or designing an alliance initially, right? And that's really important. To me, what we're looking for there is creating a safe and courageous space for both coach and client. Now, sometimes the coach will think, oh, I want my client to feel like it's a safe and courageous space, but they forget that they need to feel that way too. Absolutely. And this is normal, by the way. We contract at first, we get going. After a few sessions or a couple of months, we're kind of, it's easy to kind of go, oh man, I didn't set this up well with Sue in the beginning. And now I don't really have permission to intrude or, oh my God, she's always talking about her past or like whatever it is. And so it's important that you take the time to rework that contract, that designed alliance. Here's what I will do. I will say, Sue, we've been working together for three months now, and it's just a pleasure to work with you. I'm realizing that there are some things that are a little off that I want to talk to you about. Is it all right if we take our coaching to the next level? And usually somebody will kind of like, what's that? Okay, you know, next level. And I'll say, you know, early on, there's something I didn't set up well with you. And now I'm noticing that we've gotten into a habit. Try not to be, you know, (laughs) where you tell me a big story about what has happened. And then we only have 10 minutes left in the coaching session. What if we do something else? You know, let's talk about, do you want to do maybe a prep report so that I'll know what's been going on in your life? Or could we do like a five-minute recap of what's been going on in your successes? You redesign it so that you are feeling in better shape with your client. I'm just realizing that, Meg, I didn't fully answer the question earlier about taking on your client's commitments. Okay. So this is another part of that. When your client makes a commitment, like let's say your client is getting a divorce and she just knows she needs to be away from her husband. It's really terrifying for her. As a coach, my job is to hold her and keep my focus on her. I honestly have no attachment to whether or not she gets a divorce, Mm -hmm. to whether or not she gets out of the house. My sole focus is her, her fulfillment, her being a conscious choice in her life, and her being aware of the process she's in. Mm -hmm. So she has authority in her own life. That's where my focus is. Absolutely. And if, in fact, you end up getting attached to her choices, what ends up happening in your experience to the relationship? There's this feeling of sort of you're trying to pull the client somewhere. You start trying to talk them into something. You start being a little covert in how you put things. It's not clean. I've even heard coaches that start to sort of shame their client or, you know, you said you wanted this. You wanted to go to the gym and lose 20 pounds. Now are you going to do Oh, good Lord, don't do that to someone. Be with them. You could say you came to this relationship and you wanted to get in physical shape. You wanted to lose weight. You wanted to be strong. How are you doing with this? Mm -hmm. 
And if they're not taking, not doing what they said, well, how is it to not engage in the way that you thought you would? So that you're with them, so that you're lining up shoulder to shoulder with them as a partner in this, rather than ever becoming yet another person who is belittling or bullying. Excellent. In relation to that, I am out of control, Cynthia. I'm going to ask you one more. When you hear a client or a coach say, because many times I'll hear the coaches that are coming through training say something like, what if I know the answer for them? Isn't it giving them a disservice if I really know what they should be doing and I'm not telling them? So how would you respond to something like that? Oh, how funny. I totally get it. It's very normal and it's kind of paradoxical. Because young coaches who do that, usually an indicator that you don't fully know how to hold a client's agenda yet and don't know how to fully be curious about this person's experience. Now, there are times where intuitively you get a real hit that there's a right thing to do. So I'm going to tell you two things and they're going to sound opposed. One, I would first have you work the muscle to imagine that you're answer is a possibility, but your job is to get really curious about this person's experience and to support them in finding their right answer. Mm -hmm. So that's one piece of it. Right. The other piece is if there's something that you're getting an intuitive hit on, Mm -hmm. to actually say, you know, I have some thoughts for you here. Do you mind if I just share them? And then you're able to say X, Y, and Z, and then you let go. Mm-hmm. And if they say, oh, my God, I don't like X, but Y is interesting to me, then they take it on. That's great. Okay. You know, if it's your intuition, because you're able to offer it without attachment. Exactly. Great answer for that. Thank you. I could literally keep you on the phone <laughs> for hours. However, I know that's not what we set up for today. In the midst of looking over the elements that we talked about in establishing, beginning that coaching business, or Mm -hmm. if we're not beginning a coaching business, just where we're at with the coaching business and how we feel about that, because I don't want the listeners to feel like this is only if you're beginning a coaching practice. In general, I guess I want to ask you two things, and I'll start with, is there anything missing from what you wanted to share? I'm not seeing anything particularly. Okay. One more thought. As you are growing your business, developing your business, there's a certain amount of patience you need to have. I know I talked about getting emotional support patients, doing whatever you need to do to get your saboteur, gremlin, negative self-talk to relax a little. One of the questions that I would offer you is if you had full permission to build your coaching practice your way, what would you do and how would you do it? That's the place to be looking because right now this market is flooded with people telling you the best ways to do this. You've got to be true to yourself. If there's information that's useful to you and resonates for you, great. But don't be jumping on every bandwagon just because it starts to feel like something you should do. I absolutely support that. Over the years that I've been building the different businesses that I've had, I am a guilty one for sometimes jumping on things 
investing in things that I think later, what was I thinking? And I now have experience to share with others about that, understanding that it's going to take time yeah, and to have whatever financial backing you need to be able to not operate out of scarcity. Like you said, going with the things that feel right to you. I think you told me in our pre-interview, went into your first building your practice, there were 50 things that Thomas Leonard said that you need to do these 50 things. Five zero, folks, not one five. Oh, yeah. Thomas Leonard was a genius. He's a fellow who created Coach University. Brilliant man. And he was a marketing whiz. He was amazing. And he came out with this list of 50 things that you should do to build your practice. And oh my God, this huge checklist. And it was so overwhelming to me. I kept thinking I really should do those. And then I was taking a CTI coaching course where they said, let's follow the law of least effort. If you could follow the law of least effort in your marketing, what would you do? Well, I realized that what I liked to do was speak in public. So I started doing like, Chamber of Commerce and all these little things. That was really fun for me. I could connect with someone there and say, I want to offer you a sample session. I could offer sample sessions. I could reach out to my friends and check on them and let them know what I was up to. And that's how I built my business, period. Doing what was comfortable for you, what was fun for you, therefore, Your joy and your natural abilities were able to come out and really bring people to you. Yes. The one thing that I haven't said out loud and I want to make really clear is coaches need to have coaches. In all of my years, I have had a coach. I have a coach currently. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I see coaches do sometimes, young coaches, well, I don't have money. I won't have a coach for now. Well, go find a buddy and be working with them. That's perfectly fine. Do a barter thing if you need to, but get yourself coached because if you're not valuing coaching and using it yourself, it's really hard to stand for it and to say that this is a value. Wonderful. Absolutely. My very last question, sort of wrap up. If there were just one thing for people to remember, Hmm. And it could be a recap of something that you've already said. What would your final word of wisdom? Coaching is trying to take you somewhere and let it. So for some of you, what's going to happen is you're going to become a most wonderful coach. That's going to be your thing. For others of you, this is going to go a little sideways and it's going to be disappointing. But where coaching will take you, where the universe will take you or whatever is into a situation where you're going to be using your coaching skills with people. Maybe it's into a corporate field. Maybe it's a barista at Starbucks. I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe it's into teaching. What we are doing together is these skills, these coaching skills, they're coming out in the world. So let yourself follow where it takes you and then keep bringing your heart and your good work to the world. Awesome. Thank you so very much. It has been a delight to spend time with you this morning. Thank you, Meg. My pleasure. Wow. Cynthia has such wonderful energy and insight. It was really great fun to interview her. I hope that you enjoyed what she had to share and enjoyed learning from a master. 
If you'd like to hear more from Cynthia, I encourage you to check out her TED Talk, Safe Within Yourself. For more information on how to connect with Cynthia or for information on the show, visit StarCoachShow.com. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for being here. This is Meg Rentschler. Until the next time, here's to your coaching success. Thank you.